Hello, welcome to the second episode of the Portsmouth Basketball Podcast. Welcome. It's my hosts, me, I'm Mark. And I'm Paul. You had to think about that for a second, didn't you? Well, I was looking at the mixing desk. It's, you sure? um, yeah, you sure? no one knows it, but I'm a lot closer what to is it. Hard questions. It's, uh, <laughs> well, it's throwing me off. There a was bit. a third voice there. Yeah. I think it's a good time to introduce our special guest. Special guest this week, and I guess first guest of the Portsmouth Basketball Podcast. Yeah, first official is guest. Is Steve Ware. Yeah, Steve Ware. So. Wow, what an honour. Yeah, and. Is it? It is. Thank you, you guys. You sure? Well, so far. We'll, we'll see how you feel about it. <laughs> so far. I th- you know what? I think but we sh- we should. Uh, let me do this properly. Yeah, now stand and cheer for your Portsmouth Fury legend, former guard number 10. Oh, sorry, number one. Number one. Number double zero. Number 14, Stephen Ware. Day. It's it working in progress, that isn't That's, it? That is a it's work not going to get any better than this, so can we finish here? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just for uh, people listening, uh, you know, I'll give you a bit of background about Steve. So, Steve, Steve Ware is the uh, co-founder of the Portsmouth Fury, alongside uh, my brother Andrew Goodell and uh, James Air Harris, and um, you know, he's played for the Fury for oh, I don't know what thirty-something years until you did your shoulder in. Um, you were very much part of the Portsmouth FC basketball youth set up um, in those days. I know you said you did the um, mopping the floor and giving the players their drinks and stuff like that. Um, you've been around for the Portsmouth Fire with Jason Colgan. Um, and you've now this season seen the Portsmouth Force come into National League. Mm. Um, I'm just writing all my notes here. You're you a guard. You're uh, known as a Portsmouth Fury legend, and you're the only player in Portsmouth who has their own official song. Yeah. Thanks to you guys. <laughs> yeah. How did that come about, by the way? Idle Sorry. hands, mate. Idle hands. Yeah. yeah. Too was much it, time. Was it one night or two nights? I don't, yeah. It was. I, I. That was me doing my weird DJ thing, and I was like, "Yeah, we could do this." And then you were like, "Yeah, let's do a rap over it," and then it went from. This is funny too. We took it rather seriously within two nights. It was done. And <laughs> Someone I've found actually, it. I've actually got it on my phone, so we can we could finish the podcast playing that song. It and is. it is known as the Stevie Ware song. Mm. It is known as the Stevie Ware song. I didn't think it was out there, but somebody, one of my mates, about five years ago, just sent it randomly to me, and I was like, "How, how did you even find that?" <laughs> <laughs> it exists on the everything exists on the internet. Actually, yeah, no, I, I think we whacked it up on YouTube, Facebook, a few places, didn't we? I've done no whacking on Facebook. <laughs> wow. So, Steve, I mean, I think where you'd be great coming into this was last week we were talking about the history of Portsmouth basketball mm. and Mick Byrne came up a lot in that conversation. So we thought we should do a whole episode where we talk about Mick and that's where, you know, you've got a lot of experience with Mick because you've, you know, known him for 
a significant part of your life, really. Yeah, I think I met Mick when I was, what am I now, 49, and I met him probably when I was 13. Okay. And that's the old Saturday morning. So how did you get into that? Yeah, so your brother, your brother, Andrew, um, we've been best mates since we were like two or something. Um, but we were footballers. We weren't basketball players and I wasn't interested in basketball at all. And then I don't know how, I don't know how Andrew found basketball, but he came to me one day and said, why don't you come down? He said, it's really good. There's a Saturday morning thing. You'll love it. And I was like, mm, don't know. I play football on the Saturdays. Um, but he convinced me to come down one week and I loved it. I just loved the setup. It was Mount Batten Centre then. Really nice court to play on. That's where they used to, the pro team used to play. And we'd have it for two hours. I think it was 10 to 12 on a Saturday morning. Yeah, it was 10 to 12. Yeah. The last hour would be games. Yeah. So I got into it quite quickly and I think I, I was watching the... I started watching basketball and I realised it was a really exciting game to play and watch. And Mick back then had a great junior team as well, a really, really good junior team. So that was inspiring for us kids, just kind of watching them thinking, if we keep playing, we could, you know, we could maybe get as good as them one day. There was like some Martin Dowdle and Jason Colgan and some the really good The players. pathway was in front of yeah. you. Yeah, you, could see, it, yeah, you could see it, yeah. And like, what about the, um, like the games and stuff like that? Because, you know, you, you guys had job roles on game days. Yeah. So we'd get to the games really early. They played Pompey, play their home games at the Mount Batten Centre. And we'd get there really early and we'd have the honour of mopping the sweat off <laughs> the ground. So we had these huge mops. I mean, we do lots of things, right? We kind of help out in the changing rooms and pick stuff up and clear up. And but our main job really was to keep the court clean, really. Make, make sure it, the sweat wasn't, people weren't slipping on the sweat, making sure that people weren't falling over and injuring themselves. Yeah. And, and you know what? I don't care what anyone says. When you're a kid, you're looking at that mop boy going, I wish I was him. That is a cool job to have. Yeah, it was. We loved it. And we'd get, into the, we'd get into the lounge after. After the games, there was a player's lounge where they'd go in and have drinks and food and stuff, and we were allowed in there. So we felt like we were properly part of the setup. It made us feel like we were really involved in it, which was... I think for context, just putting the timing that you mm. were doing that as well, because in the previous podcast, which if you haven't listened to, you should go listen to it, but we were talking about the time frame and the timeline of Portsmouth as a basketball team. And at that point, you guys were doing it. Portsmouth were a big team. Mm. They, it was like they were the top. Well, the best team in English basketball. Yeah. yeah. So it's, you know, it'd be One the equivalent sure. like nowadays of I'm a ball boy at Man United or something. You know, it was, you were doing that kind of level of thing. Yeah. So, you know, to put it into that context for people who don't maybe appreciate the history in, in Portsmouth. Pompey had a is, really good team. They're yeah. a really good team. I mean, we had we had quite a lot of good American players playing for us, and yeah, we were we were playing in cup finals and challenging for the league. I don't think I appreciated how good the team was, and how much we would miss it when it went. One of the reasons I love what they're doing with the force because it reminds me of those days. It reminds me yeah. of Portsmouth. We'll support basketball. People like it. People will come out and watch it. And if you've got a good team that's exciting, people, it's a nice live sport to watch. Yeah, and I think the 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 volume of fans, the, the average attendance they were getting at the Mount Batten Centre, I didn't realise, but Scoop put it down as fifteen hundred. Was it um, for home games? And I'm not sure how you'd fit that in Mount Batten, but the, that's, that's probably what maxed out. That's probably maxed yeah. out then. Yeah. Um, but that just shows you, you know, probably I think you could, at, you know, get to that level again with the Ports of Force. Absolutely. You got people there who want to 
and want to and would support basketball mm. in Portsmouth. Mm. We could get more people to force than they can currently uh, accommodate. I think that's a hundred percent guarantee. This this season, capacity is going to be our problem. And again, it's a good problem to have. It is, yeah. But it goes also to the court, as, as you mentioned, Steve Manbatten. I used to find it a bit of a hateful court, but I appreciate it was a good court that because it's so solid, the bounce on there is slightly different to some other courts. Yeah. Especially, especially if you play in like a wooden court or yeah. some other places, they, the ball just bounces differently. And I know it's a, it's a, I'm not that good, I'm, so I don't, it doesn't affect my game that badly, but it, it is a different feel. Mm. I wonder what the players thought of the court, actually, because you could only host a basketball game in Portsmouth there at that time. Yeah. You're talking 1,500 people. There was nowhere else in Portsmouth that you could fit I suppose people in to watch it. So they had no choice, I guess. Is and that still right. the case? I don't know. It's got to be, I think. Probably. It, it, it's got to be. There's Where else is there? Two sides of bleachers. That's probably the only other court that where your capacity could go higher. Mm. I, wonder when, I wonder when the last time they even rolled those second bleachers out was. For basketball, a decade ago when I was playing National League. Probably some popcorn or something still under there. <laughs> you never know. You never know. Fantastic. But that, that, that floor was brutal, and I know that because... That's why I don't like it, because <laughs> yeah. you, you get a, a nice burn. Well, I, I, when I was playing, and Andy, I knocked myself out on that course. The only, that's probably the. Oh, you got submarines. Yeah. Well, is it? No, I was playing. I was playing against Andrew, <laughs> and he faked the shot. He was underneath the basket, so he kind of pump faked, and I jumped, and he ducked even more, and I kind of rolled over his back and came down on on my head. Yep. And Mickey Byrne was there, and he said to me, uh, "He said you're okay," and I kind of stood up, and I can. I sort of said, yeah, yeah, okay. And he said, mm, no, you're not. Go and sit down on the on the bleachers. And he pulled them out for me. And he said to me, uh, I think I'm going to call you dad or I'm going to speak to your dad when he comes and gets you. And he said, my pupils are really dilated. So he said, he said you just got to lie down. I remember, and I remember as I sat down, I remember thinking, yeah, this doesn't feel too good, actually. So they took, my dad came, picked me up. He took me up to QA and I think they scanned my head to see if there was a brain in there, which... It wasn't. <laughs> um, but I think I, I think I had a bit of time off school. I think I, I think I had to. Oh wow! Yeah, they, I remember them saying, "Don't read stuff. Don't watch TV. You just really need to lie down and be very still." Because I guess I had a bit of concussion, really. Oh wow! I remember the session you did it because you were at the south end of the court, yeah. not where we were in the away north end from the where the reception would yeah. be. Yeah, yeah, I remember that's right, that. Yeah. And and I remember that, but I think we were all more shocked that you got high enough in your jump that you could even get near his back wow <laughs> that, that was more of the shock <laughs> it did i do remember it filtering on the other side of the curtain so yeah. someone's been taken away so yeah all right but, like, but that's oh, the thing steve that was a, you know we, we brought it up before like the whole saturday morning's basketball was you know like the juniors and the seniors and mm. the net was like the, the curtain was the thing that separated mm. and you, you sort of progressed behind the curtain mm. so to speak i think that's what made the players better though if you're playing again if you're a kid 13 14 15 and you've got a good junior team who are 18, 19, however old those guys were. Mick, at a certain point, would invite you and say, hey, come along on a Monday night. We're playing at yeah, the Monday Courage. night session. Yep. And that, that was a, that was a big, it. yeah, that was a big um, compliment from him because that meant if you're joining in, because those guys weren't forgiving at all. Like, there yeah. was no, oh, this is, this is a young kid. We better go easy on him. It's like you sink or swim at this practice. Yeah. And if you're letting the team down, if you're letting, even if you're just scrimmaging, if you're letting the team down, they're going to let you know about it. So you, you pretty quickly start 
doing the right things and not risking stuff or trying to do any flashy one-on-one stuff it's good it's good for fundamentals of the game i think to, to go to a practice where you're out your depth or where you're playing against better players because yeah. you tend to just do the good things and try and do them well and on the last episode i literally said those words when you went to a monday night sink or swim like yeah. you know you bring it or go home kind mm. of thing um but so like with with mick around those portsmouth fc times he was pretty cool to all the kids really like you know you got to be part of the player community yeah he's really nice to us and really he nice. he i mean he was allowing you to go and see the players and stuff like yeah. that right yeah yeah we've been we've been in the locker rooms before helping just putting the kits out or when after the game just collecting them up so that they could be taken away and whoever washed them um yeah so we got to hang out with the players the players got to know us which was nice and we get the odd little thing from them. They give us a sweatband in the season to, to say thanks or delicious sweatband. Unu- unused, unused. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Yeah. Straight out the wrapper. Straight out the wrapper. Yeah. But no, we thought we thought we would. I mean, for us, that was as good <clears throat> as basketball. God, we were we were mixing with our idols here. It's just like being in the best locker room in the world. Yeah. Like there's these there's these American players who are good, you know, good standard for England. Obviously, they're not. NBA level, but um, that was really cool as a kid. Yeah, really cool. I, I do remember Mick um, taking me into the changing room once, and I was going around the players, and he he only told me this like twenty years later. He said you went up to every player with like a little book and a pen and said, "Can I have your photograph?" <laughs> and they were saying, "You mean you mean my autograph?" And he goes, "No, I want your photograph." <laughs> They all signed it, but it was only 20 years later. He said, do you realize you were telling everyone you wanted their <laughs> photograph? Um, and I think, you know, Mick, uh, in those days, just he was just established as the basketball man in Portsmouth, wasn't he? Oh, yeah. His life was basketball. Yeah. For many years. He kept it going. He was, he was, everything ran through him. He was involved in the England setup for a while, wasn't he? He was, he was Mr. Basketball in this region. And he was the reason a lot of people played and a lot of people why, why a lot of people came into the sport. <laughs> you know what? It's just, it's just saying that always makes you smile, always makes me laugh. And it was at the end of the last podcast we talked this. I know you'll know what I'm talking about. But you, can you ever remember when... It doesn't matter what the team was, if it was on Channel 4, guaranteed you'll see Mick walking past <laughs> the camera at some point. Yeah, um, But for some reason, just no matter what, where the camera was facing... Yeah, yes. oh, he, he knew where the cameras were and he knew when they were rolling. He was brilliant, wasn't he? Um, you know, and like, I mean, I've got, I've written a couple of stories that I remember um, uh, from the Mickey Byrne days, but a lot of them are, um, I guess, more when I was playing. Um, so mm-hmm. like 10 years ago. I mean, uh, are there any, you know, cool Mickey Byrne moments that, you know, you think of of him? I think the thing with Mick, I look back on on Mick as it's a really strange relationship I think most people have with him in that he could be the nicest guy in the world, but he was also the toughest guy in the world to you. Yeah. And and it's really interesting. When you look at the p- different personalities that have played for him, which is probably most people in Portsmouth, because I don't, I, don't, I don't know what you guys think. I don't think, you know, you know you've got a coach and some coaches say, oh, you know, some people need to kick up the backside 
to perform well. Some people need a cuddle to perform well, and I'll, yeah. and I'll manage them accordingly, definitely. And, and I mean, Mick used to kind of have his favourites, I suppose, and he used to probably be a little bit more lenient on some. But I don't think I know anyone who played for Mick who didn't get a proper hair, hair dryer treatment from him. Yeah, like example, you go up, fast break, left-handed layup, and you do it with your right hand, you're on the bench. Yeah, even if you made the shot. Yeah, <laughs> and even if it won the game. Yeah. What are you doing? Yeah. You know, you know what, you know what this, and and this is um, uh, one one of the stories I always remember with Mick. So you know, Portsmouth Smugglers. So this was probably about twelve years ago. We had a guy called Lawrence Rowe mm. playing for the Portsmouth Smugglers, and Lawrence. I remember him coming off the bench as a sub. Yeah. And he hit a three. Guy didn't get put hand in his face. He came down again. Hit a three. Hit a three. Just kept on going. And then they started coming out to him and he was just driving in. At half time, he had 32 points. Wow. 32 points at half time. And he came on in a sub. And we all went into the dressing room at half time. And Mick came in. It's like, Lawrence, what are you doing? And he's like, what? And he goes, no one scores over 30 points <laughs> in a half in my team. It was like, what? You're doing too well. You're playing too well. Get um, off. I mean, I do think Lawrence was one of those characters that needed that kick yeah. all the time to perform well. Yeah, well, I saw him recently. It was Mickey's funeral, wasn't it? Recently, yeah. and we were all there, and, we were all, and I chatted to Lawrence a lot at the end. And he said Mick really drove him on, because, yeah, he didn't he didn't play him that much. And he said, I just used to work on my game. I mean, anyone that's played against Lawrence, a really talented player, mm. a really good defensive player, not just a good offensive player, really good defender, great hands. He, he, he would strip the ball when you just really didn't imagine he could get to it. And he said to me, I worked really hard, he said, to get in mixed team and try and stay in mixed team. But he said, Mick made me work so hard just for the little scraps he gave him. Yeah. Coming on and sub and doing little things. But it brought out the best in Lawrence in some ways. But that, I mean, even that story shows you that Mick is, you know, he'll bring out the best in you and probably the worst in you sometimes. Yeah. Because it goes away one way or the other. You could easily quit. He's so hard on you that sometimes you could just yeah. say, screw it, I'm quitting. I mean, it was interesting. Mark said this um, when we heard about um, Mick passing away. And I never never thought of it like this until he said it. And it was like, Mick really was like a father figure to all of you guys. Yeah. And I never thought about it that way And until you said those words. Um, and, you know, there was... And it was so so many nice things I think he did for us. Like, you know, we had the to, to the hoop camp that lasts mm -hmm. every year. So it was being run by Colin and Steve Nelson. I can't remember if Alan Cunningham went there, did he? Used to yeah, I think so. Um, and, you know, I don't know what they would charge, but, you know, we, we didn't have loads of money. So it could be that we didn't have enough to go on the camp and you'd go, don't worry about it. Just yeah. give me 50 quid yeah, and, yeah. You, and you can go on the camp. Um, I it remember... Another another time, he he took us to to watch the Harlem Globetrotters play, mm. and again, I, yeah. I was a kid, didn't even think about it, and we're courtside, front row, courtside seats, watching the Harlem Globetrotters play in a packed out arena, and um, yeah, didn't didn't even think about it that we didn't pay a penny for that. Yeah, it was only it was only again years and years later. Um, you know, my mum said to me, he didn't charge us anything for that. He took mm. all you kids there, took the Harlem Globetrotters, watched them, you know, took you all back, didn't charge you a penny. Yeah, yeah. I mean, 
And that was his generous side. He could be really generous. Yeah, he took us to France, which we played in the tournament when we were 15 or something, maybe. And of course, I played in the same at the same time as his son Alex. So um, we we sort of played together, and that was a great trip. He took us all over to France. We stayed in different houses because we weren't staying together, so we had to go and stay with, um, I guess, families that just said we'll we'll put a, an English kid up for a night or two, staying over, and um, drove us around. We played in the tournament, came home, dropped us, you know, dropped us all back off at our houses. The amount of time he gave, he dedicated to basketball over the years. Because it's not just the money, is it? It's, it's the time he put into it as well, and the effort he put into. I mean, Paul, you know what it's like to try and yeah. run things. There's so much stuff that goes on behind the scenes that people don't think about, like just the scheduling and getting the refs and getting the courts sorted and getting the table officials sorted and getting the insurance done and getting like da 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 before you've even bounced the ball. There's that level of structure, and not just like you said, dedication, but the structure that he put around the teams. And this is how you play, and this is what you have to do. And this is what you have to do to get on the team. Yeah. And this is what you, if you do, you'll get off the team. Yeah. Um, you know, but it was that level of structure that was, you know, as you were saying about like a father figure, is it was that grounding level of if you do this, you succeed. Learn these fundamentals, do things this way, and you know, I can't take you places. But I take what you're saying. It's it's just a bigger picture than ten to twelve on a Saturday morning. Oh yeah. I didn't really realise this till till we were at his funeral, and it just suddenly hit me. So we we went to the funeral and the, and the coffins there, and there was a basketball on top. Yeah. And I, and I, it suddenly hit me, because because Mick's everywhere. Like he's omnipresent. And when you when you're a kid, when I, if you've known someone thirty five years, um, they're just always around, right? You go to a basketball event, and then Mick walks in. Of course he does. Like you know you. You go down to someone on a Wednesday night and people playing basketball. Mick walks in and yeah, Mick, we would have a semi final. He'd walk yeah, in. Yeah, like he's yeah. A, he's everywhere and and you don't you think he's going to be you think he's going to live forever and you think he's always going to be there and now he's not and that's it hit me really hard seeing his coffin thinking that is it yeah, yeah. and I was very grateful to see him actually on when the Fury were playing on that. On May the fourteenth was the last time I saw him. A cup game, cup game, yeah, a cup game, yeah. And I, and I, he, I, two, two really lovely things about that. So, one, I hadn't seen him for quite a while, and he came in, and he did look frail. He was on his crutches, and he came in, and he sat in the chair. And I was sitting up watching the game in the stands, and I went down to see him. And I, my last memories of Mick are really nice because he looked over, and when it, when he saw it was me, he had a big smile on his face. And he's like, "Ah, oh, Steve," and I said, "Hey, Mick, how are you?" Blah, blah, blah. And we were chatting. And then, and then he said to me after a while, I said, how are you, mate? He's like, mm, yeah, not too good, not too good. And towards the end, he said, he said, Steve, I think this might be the last time I see you. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I said, I oh, don't say that, mate. Don't say that. But in the back of my mind, I also thought, do you know what? He might be right. So you need to, you need to say something to him now that you would have wished you said to him when he was alive. If he does die, do you know, you know, when people die and you sort of go, I, I never really told him how much he meant to me. Yeah. I, I would never really, I wish I could give him one last hug. I wish I could. And so I said to him, Mick, thanks for everything you did for us. Thanks for everything you did for us as kids. You, you know, you, you were basketball in this city for years. You are basketball in this city. Thank you so much from all of us. Like, I, we, I'm sure we got on your nerves sometimes and caused you a problem, but we appreciate you. And it was nice to be able to say that because literally 
it was a lot. Like, yeah. Was the last thing I said to him. It was like two weeks, weeks later, later, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I had a similar experience on on that same day where, you know, the Fury were losing by I think it was fourteen points, and I saw Mick walk in, and he was he watched a quarter. Um, sorry, he watched a quarter, and we were down by fourteen points, and. We got to half time and I just went straight over to him and went, Mick, what am I doing wrong? What do I need to do? And, um, you know, he, he gave me a bit of advice and we went back, you know, in, initiated what he told me. Within four minutes, it was a tied game. Yeah. We didn't go on to win the game, but it was, I just looked, that was a really nice shared moment. It was, it was like, you know, he knows what he's talking about. Yeah. Even on crutches, you know, he says one thing and four minutes later, bam, that's the impact mm. you've had. Um, and yeah, in a similar in a way, I was like, you know, it was a nice exchange to say goodbye because it was, he was like, you know, yeah, good out. You can't win them all. You know, you tried it. You just got to try different things sometimes. Mm. You did all right. And um, it was like, cheers, Mick. I really appreciate that. You know, good luck with your games. You know, see you mm. later. And, gave him a hug and that was it kind of thing but um and i got to see a really nice side of him because i used to do before covid <clears throat> i used to i used to do the table for fury a bit oh yeah and um and this is classic mick right so mick every every single home game he would help me he would do the table right i'd do the i'd do the book and he'd do the scoreboard or whatever or the other way around and we used to i used to love it i used to love it i'm sure mm -hmm. we, we'd have a good laugh and mick would be like just chatting to me and making me laugh during the game um, pulling his hair out sometimes watching but every week he'd come down and look at Andrew and go good out where's, where's your table officials <laughs> yeah he would where's your table yeah. officials and I'd be like Mick aren't, aren't we doing it no Mick would be like no I'm going up to the bar I'm not and then he'd, he'd make you work for it every time and then of yeah, course you'd you have know, to ask him nicely yeah and I'd be like should I go and get your chair Mick and <laughs> can we get you a drink and um, but yeah, he, he kind of keep you on your toes. And I think that stemmed all the way back from my first recollection of Mick is just doing fundamentals. Like when you go to a basketball practice with him, it's fundamental. It's not just let's scrimmage for two hours. You know, let's, let's see you can do the most highlight reel plays. It's like, we can do the basics guys. This is going to be dribbling. This is going to be passing. This is going to be defending, boxing out, running plays, learning the game properly. And that's um, that's something he brought. I think you talked about structure earlier. He really brought structure for young people because he would teach you first and foremost fundamentals. Mm. Yep, and that's and fundamentals are really important. Really important. Really. Beef, balance, eyes, elbow, follow through. Wow. Oh, you should come down. Wow. They'll take you as a coach. Hundred <laughs> percent. Listen, you're not ready for me. You'll have a beef. joke within Stop a week. It. Bring your beef to practice. <laughs> yeah, I'll be the one they'll be crying about. Mate, right, go do a suicide again. Off you go. <laughs> I didn't like that shot. Go do it again. Yeah, and, uh, but that's know, but that's what he would do. It was it was the uh, it was the tough love, wasn't it? It was the you got you got to hit these. You got to keep doing this. You got to. We know you're here to play the game. We know you're here to do. We've got two hours, and from like ten to eleven, you're running the five man drill. You're running the shooting drill. You're, yeah. You're doing dribbling. You're doing the uh, one I used to like was the um, one he used to like you doing was the taking the charge drill, where you be doing like quick feet on the floor and then when he made a noise or something you had to jump backwards yeah. and go oh on the floor like I taking still do a charge that now. when I do that drill I just say to the kids 
guys, we're going to do a drill now. Yeah, this Luke, is this is the what Luke the England flop. manager taught me. <laughs> and they all go, wow, they all look up when you say that. It's the Luca flop, isn't it? You know, you, <laughs> you know when I when I in my very first National League game, um, I remember, you know, really nervous. There was a it was an away game, big crowd. There's probably, I don't know, 150, 200 people there. I was really nervous, and you know, Mick subbed me in, and he called a timeout really quick after I was in the game, and we came into the huddle, and he was like, "Good out." You're not in this team for your pretty face. That's their best player. Take him out. I was like, <laughs> what? <laughs> okay. So very next play, I took a, I went to take a, a charge and this guy came around. And again, this is Mick's told me to, to do something. And I got very enthusiastic about it. And the guy went down. He went, he was injured. Uh, he hurt his shoulder or something. And I, just, I can clearly visualize it now, just looking over at that time just seeing a little nod by me like yeah good right on job done good You're, you, you can play for the next you can play for the rest of the You're season. You're allowed on the bench now. Yeah <laughs> but you know Mick was a I don't know fierce or ferocious competitor. Oh really couldn't wasn't lose. He? Could not lose. Absolutely ferocious. Um, I, I always mean, enjoyed the games that we played against the Navy as the Fury because then Mick would We'd see a different side of him sometimes. Yeah, well, we we I don't think we got one up on mixed teams very often. No. We did do it. You know what? The one I really remember was it was local league Fury versus Smugglers quarterfinals of the cup. I think we were losing by about twenty points, and it. I think it was half time. Mick probably washed his hands. Thought, All right, this is done. He went up to the bar. He came down at the end of the third quarter and we were up by 14 points. Wow. And I always remember it was the one time like in more recent times where we beat the smugglers and um, I, I always look back and went but Mick went to the bar for that one quarter where we had that huge 30 point <laughs> deficit turnaround. Mick was at the bar. Popped to the bar. Yeah. He would have called timeout or you'd done oh, change the defence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He wouldn't have allowed that. Just popped just pop to the bar. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think his, his fierce competition was his greatest asset and his biggest. Uh, what's the right word? Floor? Weakness, maybe. Yeah. yeah. Because, I mean, the reason we set up the Fury, I think, was because certainly the reason I wanted to set up a separate team was because I felt like I couldn't win for Mick after a while. Like I couldn't, no matter what I did, wasn't going to be good enough. Oh, really? Yeah, and my and I realised obviously like I was never gonna basketball was only ever gonna be fun for me. So I wanted it to be fun. I wanted to enjoy it and I thought if I'm going to games and I'm nervous and you know, I'm not gonna enjoy playing and then I'm not that interested. And so when we set the fury up, it became ours. It became I mean, we're still under Mick and he you know, he did a lot for us, but it became our own team. Oh, that's interesting. Is that why you never played National League? Because, I mean, I regularly bring up your your name when I talk about players who never played National League, mm. but were arguably the best players in Ports around at the time. And I always look at you as one of those names that I say to people, say Steve Ware was literally one of the best guards in Portsmouth who didn't play National League. 
Yeah. And was it the fun side of that that you just wanted to keep it like that? Because as soon as you go National League, it gets very serious. Yeah. I was serious about playing for the fear and I wanted to win and we did everything to win. But it's an interesting question. Yeah, it probably was. It probably was the... You know, I don't want to... Night before a game, I don't want to be dreading the game. You know, and those people that hate their job, it comes to Sunday night and they're like, oh my God, I've got work tomorrow. Yeah. That Sunday night feeling. Yeah. Do you I think it was because you were doing it for yourself and not for someone else? What? Playing for the Fury was yeah. doing it for myself. You know, you're, you're carving your own path in that respect. Yeah. Yeah, and Andy and I were in control of our own destinies then, I suppose. Own Although team practices and stuff I mean, as Mick, well. Yeah. Mick did try to involve himself where he could. He did coach oh, the yeah. Fury, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was, there years. was no big falling out. It was just it was just kind of we set up our own thing. And I mean, Alex sort of had his own team as well. Yeah, so from what I remember, the first, you, Andrew, and um, James Harris set up the Fury. Yeah, um, at your mum's dining table. Yeah. And it was called the New Power Cram Generation. MPG. MPG. And then... <laughs> and then it turned from that into the Portsmouth Force. And then Alex started a Portsmouth Force. Yeah. And that's where Mick was... Like, like he would be sometimes when, oh, Alex is Ports of Force, you can't be Ports of Force anymore. Yeah, and we that's where the force. fury Yeah, so we, were, we, were, we were just searching for team names then because we couldn't have Force. We wanted Force. Yeah, and that's and where it came from. Yeah, I think we found a logo of a Canadian team or something. Okay. And, and then fury, fury was born. Like, that's good. I'll take that. Yeah, and it, and it, and it went from there. Mm. You know, just, just looking back, I know you, you, um, you were talking about... Um, Mix, you know, just desire to win everything. I know there's a story about, I don't know where you were, you were traveling away and you, you lost. Tell that several, story. There's several stories. I think everyone that's played for Mick has got one of these stories where you give up your Saturday or whatever time, whatever day it was, and travel to, yeah, outskirts of London or wherever we're playing. And if we weren't, if we didn't play well, uh, Mick could let you know about it. I can remember a couple of times we played, according to him, obviously, we played so badly that he that he just, he was just like, I, won't, I mean, I won't, I won't use the words he used, but um, it was basically you boys are making your own way home. <laughs> and so we kind of, we, and we thought he was joking, right? So he said, he says this, he's like, I'm, I'm going basically. He would say a lot of flippant comments, wouldn't he? Yeah, yeah. And he's like, so he, He's basically said to us in so many words, um, I'm off and I'm taking the minibus with me and good luck to you guys getting home. And we're 50 miles from home, wherever it was. And so we sort of we sort of laughed a little bit, I think, and went in and got changed and came out and showered and went out to the car park and, and there's no van. And so we're, we're all looking around like, how are we actually going to get home? <laughs> because we're too young. No one's got cars. Like we're, um, luckily he never we were chatting about this to Ian McAvoy actually and we were laughing and saying was there a time where he actually didn't come back because normally he'd go like a big around a big A road or something that takes like 45 minutes and eventually you'd, he'd, you'd just see the van pull up and you know you're getting in that van and you are not speaking <laughs> <laughs> and you are shutting the hell up yeah. the entire journey and Mick would just sit there with a stone face 
and he'd come back to get you, but it's just like, hear a pin drop in that van on the way. Do you reckon he would just go to McDonald's or say, have a McDonald's and <laughs> then come back? Probably. Uh, you know what? The, the one thing I, re I remember, National League, it was, um, I really enjoyed the away games. I loved the away games. And what I started to do, because, I mean, we were having a pretty successful, we had a couple of really successful seasons. And um, what I would do is just take, you know, one of those big food cooler boxes, mm. you know, jam it with ice. And I'd put, put a four pack of beer in there. Um, now, I remember Steve Davison um, was playing and he jumped on this train really quick. So he would bring a four pack, put it in there. We'd play the game and then these beers were as cold as ice, you know, because I'd been in there for four, five hours, six hours. Um and you would travel home on the way bus, you, you know, you'd open your beers up and, you know, you'd have a few drinks after the game. And half the team were doing this. Um, exactly that. The problem was when you lost. So, you know, we were lucky. We didn't lose too many games. Um, but when we did, Mick would get in that bus, he would slam that door and go, good out. No one's having any of that beer or something <laughs> like that. And you'd be like, yeah, no worries, Mick. You know, we don't deserve it. We don't deserve it. And you're like, I've already yeah. thrown it away, Mick. I agree with you. Yeah. And um, it would be quite funny. We'd leave it maybe <laughs> 15, 20 minutes. And then you would just hear a... <laughs> <laughs> and then you see Mick's eyes in the rear view mirror. Yeah. And you'd have me and Steve like near the back of the bus, like holding the beer cans quite low down. And then, you know, five minutes later... <laughs> <laughs> no school children. But it wasn't too bad. It wasn't too bad. I do remember it used to be after about an hour, he would, yeah, he'd be all right. Yeah. But it, it, yeah, he was a, a fierce competitor and like you know really didn't want to lose. Yeah, he took it personally. He, he did. He, took it he did, and he mellowed a bit with age, but not that much. Yeah. But I mean, I'm glad that we kept in touch because he was 81, I think, when he when he died. Um, so we got to see him. I was trying to work this out. So he was probably fifty, late forties, maybe when we first, when I first met him. Uh, and it was nice to keep in touch with him as an older guy because he did, he did mellow a bit. And he'd come to our Christmas. We'd always invite him to our Fury Christmas dinners yep. and pay for his meal, and which he really appreciated. You know, and we'd sit and do the, the the table for the Fury and have a good laugh. And I really did see a different side to him then. Yeah, the softer side. The nice guy, the guy that would do anything for you. Yeah, no, I agree. Like, definitely, uh, as he got older, he, he there's a few times he would, I, I can't think of an example, but he would give you a bit of advice. You know, Paul, why don't you try doing this? And you think, oh, wow, okay, yeah, brilliant. Thanks, mate. Um, when you're competing against him, he's never going to, never going to do that. But um, you know what? I, I probably would go as far to say, I reckon the Ports of Fury are probably the the only team that would, was taking him out Christmas and for all our parties every Probably. time we won the league we went out and we'd celebrate and stuff like that you know he was there with us wasn't he yeah we always appreciate him we, should, we gave him the, the respect he deserved <clears throat> yeah because he did deserve respect oh, sure. whether he was a tyrant which he could be you know if you're playing for him or against him but you know he shared his love of the game fundamentally oh, yeah. didn't he yeah 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 and it, whether it was the structure, the rules, the how you play, but who's refing, how the ref's calling it, if that's a foul, if it's not, if he's running the bench or if he's going to run the table, it doesn't matter what he was doing. He, he had his fingers in all the pies and 
not just in Portsmouth, been in lots of the legal rounds in the south that he didn't knowing where everything was going. But fundamentally, he just wanted to share that passion with everyone yeah. and, and inject that into everyone, mm. which I think he did with you know, a lot of you guys in particular. <laughs> because of those, the time he spent with them, and that's yeah. he spent more time with you guys than a lot of the other teams. Yeah. I can, remember, I can imagine. I just remember the funny story just coming in my head. We were playing, I can't remember who we were playing, but I was in the team. Remember Chalky was playing? Oh, that, were they the Embers? Or? No, he was playing. So he, Chalky must have played with us for Mick for was a it? little for a little while. Wasn't the Kestrels? Uh, wasn't the Kestrels? Oh, God, the bloody Kestrels. He's always always trying to throw their name into it. Yeah, they made it into this podcast. <laughs> anyway, we're playing this game. This is this <laughs> summed up Mick. So Chalky, for people that don't know, a really nice guy. He's like a really, a really cool guy. Not that competitive. I would probably describe him as. Not that, not ultra competitive, not like not as competitive as Mick, certainly by a long way. This is the difference between Mick's competition levels and Chalky's competition level. We're playing in the game, Chalky's D this guy up. This guy hits this unbelievable off balance, falling out of bounds three with the shot clock expiring. Somehow gets it up over Chalky's outstretched arms. Chalky turns around, <laughs> shot loops up, it falls through, swishes. Unbelievable shot. And Chalky turned turn around and high fived the guy like, Oh Jesus! Yeah, you know, you know what's coming. You know what's coming. You know what's coming. The high fives the the opponent who's just hit a huge three. It wants to win the game, really. It's just a, it's just in reg, you know regular play. But it's a big shot. I mean, everyone on the bench is like, oh whoa. So chalky high fives this guy Mick. <laughs> Bang! He's up off the bench. Again, we won't family show. Won't won't use the words he used. Let's just say chalky was warm in the pine. The entire rest <laughs> of that, the rest of that game. Wow. Wow. That's Shit, like that's like better. the ultimate thing to, to not do on a court you're playing yeah. with is to like congratulate. What do you reckon Mick's quickest sub ever was? There's gotta be someone who he's like get in the game. Oh I saw that a few times. And they came in, did something, and he's like get Yeah, out. get out. No, that a few times. Like you you go in for Mick and you miss a shot, miss a second shot, you do, you have two big mistakes, bam, bench for at least half. <laughs> At least half. You know what? I I I I don't want to say worked out mixed subs, but I, I, what I would do is um, I national league. I never really started, um, but I would make myself as close to Mick as humanly possible on that side of the bench. So mm. if you're down, right down the end of the bench, he's not looking at you. So I'd, I'd try to put myself as close to him as humanly possible. And then when there was a big mistake or something huge happened, I'd be vocal. Come on, yeah. back door, watch out for this. Come on. And I'd do that. And he would always look and just go, good out, get in. Because he wanted, he saw someone who's going, he's up for mm. it and get him in. Mm. I mean, I, I, I remember especially the some of the Ports of Southampton games we played or Solent games, um, you know, I think some of the more the Portsmouth boys he played a lot more I remember in those games I played a lot more I think because I was a Portsmouth boy and I was going to put my body on the line or go all out the whole game but um, yeah that I always sat as close to Mick and tried to be vocal <laughs> um, and then you'll get in the game that's mm. a good way to do it I got you in and you know what I do see players still now even National League they sit right down the end of the bench yeah and they're unenthusiastic and I'm like, well, you're not gonna come in. Like no. you wanna you wanna hide. be sat there like I'm like uh you just be frothing. Frothing at yeah, the mouth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the coach is gonna look at that and go, 
get him in. Yeah. Get him in. Um, it, is, it is a weird thing, though, isn't it? Because there must have been things that... It's not just the direct things that having that impossible experience and that he's taught you guys. There's lots of indirect lessons. Oh, yeah. Such as the whole, if you perform, you stay in. If you don't, you don't. It, it's it's yeah, a harsh, hard. It, but it is a harsh life lesson. But it's one that you know these days people yeah. like a big cuddle, and yeah, everyone yeah. wants to be told, "Oh, it's everyone gets a medal." It's like, no, the first gets a medal, second and third, yeah, they get not as good medals, and everyone else, thanks for turning up, cheers. Like that's, it, it's, it's it's like an Olympics, isn't it? It's a reality. It, there's no, you don't need the cuddling and the sugar coating, but that's a great life lesson for, like, with like coaching the kids and then coming through all the way to an adult. Mm. You go, it. it yeah, it's, sometimes you're just not going to get. Well, that was that was the difference between us and the Fury and the team that Mick would coach. So when Mick would coach a team, he's coaching you to win the game. He's not coaching you to give everyone a nice time. Oh, was little Johnny at the end there? Has he had enough minutes? Oh, he hasn't. Let's get him in for three minutes and let's do. Mick's there like we're winning here. If I play five players and win, and that's what it takes. That's what it takes. Whereas when we formed our own team, and you see a lot more social teams, they're the hardest, one of the hardest jobs the coaches has is, am I going to make this entire bench happy? Because I've got 12 people here. Yeah. Everybody wants to play. I'm going to try and give people minutes. Mick never had that. Mick, Mick was coaching really like a professional. Yeah. You know, a Premier League coach isn't playing anyone on anything other than merit. And, and like, are you going to add to this team? Are yeah. you gonna, is, is this the very best team we can put out in this moment against this opposition? The answer is yes, you're playing. If the answer is not, you're not playing. Yeah. And I do think Mick took the psychological aspect of the game to a whole nother level. So I, I remember um, playing with him before and he would turn up to you, you, you know, you've just traveled three hours to play play a team and he would turn around to you and go, you're probably not going to get on today. Mm. But if you do, I want you to stop that guy from scoring. If he doesn't score, he'll stay in the game. And so, again, you'd be sitting there looking at this guy you're taking on going, I am, there is no way you are, you are scoring. And he, he would it'd just be in your head. Mm. And, you know, or he would say something like, you're not playing today, probably, but you're going to be my main guy next time. And you go, okay, he, he really wants me to play here. He really, and you'd be mentally building yourself up like this game. And he goes, right, this is your time to shine. And, you know, I, I've said this to you, you before. Do you think he did it with differently with different people as well? Like, yeah, kind definitely. Of read the room, like definitely. Because you're super competitive. Like, it's, it's fair to say you'll throw the baby out with the bathwater if you. Oh, don't. Yeah, and he's he was taking my yeah, yeah. competitiveness and focusing it on one person. Donkey saw the carrot. That is, that's who you got to yeah. go up against. So yeah, hundred um, percent. But yeah, it, I, I think Mick it was so clever, so clever. There was this undertone. There's another game, like I said to you before, another game being played in the game and this psychological thing. You'd say one thing to a referee. Oh, yeah. One thing and back the entire game changes. Mm. And I remember um, when I started getting into coaching and I said to Mick, can you, can you come and um, sit with me on the bench and help me out? And I never remember this. It was, it was strange at the time. And... All the fouls were going against the Fury. Everything was foul, foul, Fury. Like all itty-bitty fouls and the other team had nothing. And it got to a certain point and he said, Paul, you need to stand up, use some colourful language to the referee and highlight to everyone in the room 
that he's called 15 fouls on the Fury and one foul on the other team. You need to make that very clear to the entire room. Get up now. So I stood up. Ref, what the hell's going on? All the colorful language. 15 fouls, one foul here. And, and oh, so, and then he said, you're going to get, a t he goes, you keep going until you get a technical foul. Mm. Got the T. And as soon as I got the T, he goes, sit down and shut up. Yeah. And I sat down, shut up. All of a sudden, the other end. The other end. And he goes, those refs are now refing the game going, hang on, have I really called 15 fouls on yeah. one team? One, that's that's not right. And they're questioning themselves. And whilst they're questioning themselves, it's, I don't, I don't, I'm not sure what effect it's having, but. A big effect. Yeah. Because you've not only told the ref, you haven't gone quietly during a timeout and said, ref, we're keeping track of this. Come on, man. Like it's 15 to, to four, whatever the stats are. You've announced to the entire gym that they've made a mistake, that they're calling this in yeah. a bad way. Yeah. So that puts a lot of psychological pressure on them to say, wow, are we are we calling this even or not? Unconscious bias. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Like, that's, that's, I mean, that's, see that in the NBA. You'll see at a certain point a coach will, t even someone like Steve Kerr, that's not a really, or Brad Stevens, people that aren't really, you know, aggressive people, so to speak. There's a time and a place to get a tea. There's a time and a place to get ejected even. Yeah. The sport, I mean, sports psychology, you do a whole podcast on that. That's huge. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I'd seen Mick get ejected quite a few times. And I think the uh, dynamic between him and Alex was all, always, I, I would say it was either entertaining or embarrassing in the National League because they would be, bah, 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 bah. oh, come on, dad. And he'd be back at Alex. And it was just like, and this is from the first 10 seconds of the game. And it was either hugely entertaining to listen to it or just a bit embarrassing you'd be like oh come on get on with it all but yeah so I've, I've also seen Mick eject you quite a few times as well oh oh that's you know quite a regular thing Saturday you know? morning at least yeah. at some point well there was a reason behind that so the reason behind that was there was an arcade machine like a space invader game up by the bar mm. and I worked out if you turned it off at the power and turned it back on you got three free credits so I thought well if I misbehave in the first bit when they're doing the fundamentals I go up and pay Space Invaders for an hour with all these free credits and then I come back and then just play in the games and that, oh, that was, was a temporary ejection was it <clears throat> yeah you, you usually Some, came back most of the time you got okay. to come back because because okay. Mick would do like a sometimes like a, like a not like a lunch break but kind of like a little five minute break between the, the sessions oh and you come back in then. and then he yeah. slink back in I, d I do remember he didn't let me play in the games a couple of times yeah. and then I, I think I was like oh god I can't you know got to stop misbehaving a bit but that's why I just want to go and play Space Invaders <laughs> but you know what talking about um, Mick's fierceness um, there is another story about Mick which I think shows his um, fairness um, I'm, I'm not going to name the referee, but I remember there was, and it, this was high level. So this was local league. This is Portsmouth Smugglers versus the Bournemouth Bears. And were you watching it with me? Don't know. There's a few of us at the top. So this was whoever, right at the end of the season, whoever won the game won the league. Mm. So it was, yeah, league decider. And Bournemouth were winning by three points with like 10 seconds left and smugglers bought the ball you know three two one 
buzzer goes off. As the buzzer goes off, I remember the guy bouncing it, catching it, and then shooting, and it goes in. But everyone was like, game's over, form of one. Everyone's shaking hands. And I'm not going to say the referee's name, but the referee went, blew the whistle and went, three points, overtime. Wow. And it just kicked off. Did you watch that? Were you there for that? I think I was. I think maybe it was Andrew. But it absolutely kicked off because it was like no one in the gym thought <laughs> it was going into overtime. And no. Bournemouth were like, we have been trying to beat Portsmouth in the league for 10 years and we've just done it and now you're going to take it away from us and take wow. us into overtime. And I remember Mick turning around and went, we're not playing overtime. Did he? he went, we're not playing overtime, they won. And it, I think it upset the ref at the time because they were like, you know, it's you're going against my decision. He was like, no, nah. there's no way. You're not going into overtime. You've won the league. And he went over, shook the guy's hand. He goes, you finally beat us. Well done. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And Bournemouth won the league. They came second. <clears throat> and with his fierceness, you would have thought he would have gone, yeah, we'll take that. But on that, I, I remember on that day, he was just like, no, if he's going to win, he's going to win fair. Yeah, I think he'd bend the rules. I don't think he wanted... He would never cheat to win. I don't think he'd ever want to... He'd win the white way. Yeah, I mean, he'd push... He'd sail close to the wind. Make life a bit difficult for you. Yeah, and he'd do everything he could to, you know, get the refs to make some favourable calls for him and everything else. But, yeah, I don't think Mick would want to think something was blatantly wrong. And I mean, in, in a way, I always think, with, like, the Portsmouth 4 stuff... We talked about it in one, in one of the other early podcasts about making an atmosphere and making an ambience and how one of the reasons that some of the refs originally when when you started doing some of that was they said well it could be a home court advantage and i always sit there and back and think well that's the sort of thing mick would love because it's like oh any advantage you can get over the opposition you 100 percent take that oh yeah. you can get the crowd behind you more you know, playing in some, I think it was not Southampton, but it was one of the universities, and they had bleachers at the top. It might have been Bournemouth. And they put like a bleacher at the top that you play a game in. Uh, yeah, that was Southampton University. Yes. At any time you can, and they, you know, they'd have people turn up for the students' game. Mm. Whereas home games, you wouldn't get as many. You think any time you can get people there and create a, create a vibe and stuff. Yeah, it makes a difference. Huge. And so it, again, shouting if you're at the shouting at the ref or causing a storm, and his reputation preceded him. So then after a while, he mellowed out with age, but also he didn't have to put the show on mm. because it's like, okay, Mick's going to come in. Yeah. At some point, he's getting out of that chair. That's something guaranteed at some point. He's getting out of that chair. Yeah, and, and from a referee perspective, when yep. I started getting into refing and, and doing the local te uh, local uh, te the local teams, um, smugglers were obviously part of that. And... It was really interesting. I'd turn up and, you know, the referees would come together at the start of the game and be talking. And the referees, straight away, they're all talking. Okay, um, you know, Mix and be shouting. And, you know, don't let him wind you up to give him a tip. And it's like, what? What? Like, he, he was in their heads before the game's even started. Mm. Um, and, it, you, and, you know. Alex Ferguson, wasn't he, really? He was the, he was the yeah, basketball equivalent of Alex Ferguson. Yeah. Um, and, you know, just going back to the the Portsmouth FC basketball, you know, when you were saying, you know, it was just a, a great environment and stuff like that. It was the, you know, Manchester United moment for Portsmouth in basketball, wasn't it? You know, we were, won the 
top division two years in a row. And then during that time, you were mopping up sweat and getting a sweatband for it. Yeah, free sweatbands. It was worth every ounce of sweat I mopped up. Complimentary moisture but included. The, the equivalent is in basketball, like if you were in America, you know, LeBron James, there you go, sweat boy. Mm. Oh, there's, yeah. a, there's a my headband. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but that's, 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 you know, that's something that the Forcer aspire to really now, isn't it? To get back to that sort of state where you've got the, all the top teams playing. Yeah. Will they do that? Um, you know, how long would it take to do something? To get to BBL? Yeah. Um, to get to BBL, you need a, uh, somewhere where you can get a thousand people capacity. So if you, you could do that overnight and go into the BBL, if you've got the funding and, and all of that, that's, that's, I don't think it's difficult to do it. It's not like a promotion thing. So you told me a few years ago, if you won that, I think it was 106 million or something on a Euro millions. You said, Oh, 100%. You said, how much yeah. would it be to build a basketball court? <laughs> basketball, like little mini arena. You know what? If they're saying a thousand, I'd say, right. Okay. Let's get three, 3,000, 4,000 and stuff and you know maybe have it as like a an indoor hockey. music arena as well or something yeah. like that that would be, be my plan um yeah that's got to buy those tickets mate oh no it is just automatically rolling all the time but you can <laughs> that is what is happening He's if in i win the it. euros that's if no, i win that's the it. euros that is happening the only <laughs> well, question wow. mark there is, it is. there is Exclusive. one question mark rob's written that down already mr chairman's written that well, down already you know there's a lot <laughs> a lot of my future what are you gonna plans? call the arena the poor Goodale Arena. Um, PG Waterhouse. <laughs> no, I thought about this, actually. No, I've done so much. I'd call it the Dockyard. In Portsmouth, the Dockyard. The Dockyard. I'm not sure I like that. Does that I mean like everyone's going to be a docker who goes there? I don't know. Dockers are in. The Dockyard. dockyard. Or the Scrapyard. Something like that. Shipyard. You want it to we be need, the, the garden, to, don't you? We need to work on this name, I think. Look, if I win the Euros, you boys can come in and be part of the marketing team and we'll work it all out then. I'm not going to lie. If I see an advert saying, would you like to come to the dockyard? It's a hard pass. Or the beer garden. Go <laughs> <laughs> to the beer garden. Um, we have VIP seats there. Yeah, yeah that'd be nice. VIP yeah, like a swimming pool in there for the players. Gym. Swimming pool, Steve. Nice. Everything. What would you go... What, you're going to go... I'm going to go for a basket. Watch a basketball game. I'm going to go for a swim afterwards. No, 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 no. This is... Just for the, the players and coaching staff, you can only get into the. Oh, so they, that's the training facility as well. Yeah, yeah, training facility, and Take you almost want another court alongside it for training and stuff like that. Could we have a McBurn Memorial uh, bar? Look, I, I put so much the thought Mickey into Burn this. Bar. No, Statue as, outside, you, as you as you walk in, they'll. Do you know when you get like the Muriel stuffs on the wall, like the different things? Yep. You would have like Mickey Byrne, Steve Ware, Andrew, yep. you know, all the old original Fury players, Colin Irish. You have like, as you walk in, you see them all going into the thing. But the my only question mark would be into the dockyard would be would you keep it the Ports of Force or would you change the name? Oh, that's a tough one, but Steve. if I've won the Euros and I'm investing a lot of money, I'd debate making it the Fury just because of my history with Richard. the Fury. Wow. Really? Yeah. That's the only thing. There's there's a coach who's going to come on there called Tom Milner. Yeah. Um, and Tom 
he's um absolute legend has got a Portsmouth Force tattoo really on his arm get in a show it's yep. he's got an actual pause and I said to him when I saw it I was like if I win the Euros we're going into the BBL and I might call it the Portsmouth Fury that kind of conflicts with your tattoo I think it's a risk you'll take a lot of my future plans rely on this Euros win but mm. we'll see we'll see if it pans out I mean if you're having all these good players going up like a staircase and that you know what I mean is there a limit to how many players you have going on this moment? Um, uh, it's like a wall, you know, where like it's like a yeah. like part of the wall, like a posters merging so into the It sounds good. I'm invested. And I was going to have in the stadium, Steve. And I was going to have in the arena. I was going to have like hanging down a massive bar, like a massive banner, <laughs> with like Steve playing, and it just says, "Where, fourteen? Like, and you, like all the old Fury players. I put a lot of thought into this. Wow." All we need now is 100 million quid. Just 100 million. Is it 100 million to build a stadium? Really? I don't know. I, no, I don't know how much it'd be, but um, we'll see. Do we have any Kestrel players up there? <sighs> see, you always... You know what? I was thinking about that out, can you? Because you were talking about... <laughs> well, no, but Solent didn't Nick Kestrels. have... Didn't he loves Solent Kestrels. He brings them up every bloody week. I was... I'm always, I mean, we're talking about Mickey today, but like, did he have a rivalry? Was there a rival coach? Was there a rival team? Was there anyone in particular, you think... There's someone that makes like we kind of we gotta beat them no matter what. Because I know he was like across the board competitive, but I wonder if Mick ever had a nemesis. I certainly don't. I think local league would have to be Bournemouth Bears. They were always competing with him, and they yeah. were a good team. They'd been playing with each other for a long time. They were a really good team. They were always. I don't know. When you're on top, I think is it a bit difficult to have a nemesis when you're on top all the time, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, what about coach-wise then? Kingston, maybe Steve, Steve Bontrago, and all that. Yeah, but Mick wasn't the coach of that team, was it? That was Dan Lloyd. Dan Lloyd was was the Portsmouth coach when we were playing Kevin Cadle and the Kingston teams. Oh, okay. Kevin Cadle. Yeah, people might have seen him on. Is he still doing Sky? I don't know. He was doing the NFL, I think, wasn't he? I'll have a look. They used to wheel them out, didn't they? Wheel them out or get someone phoned up, John Amici, a couple of times. And <laughs> oh, you played in the NBA, didn't you? Yeah, just wasn't very good. But <laughs> So, Steve, like, just signing off mm. on the legend that is, you know, Mick Byrne. What's, what's your, your lasting memory or favourite memory? Well, I mean, that's a hard question. Um, I suppose just gratitude I guess yeah grateful he was a big part of our lives our prime years 14 <laughs> years and you know what without him without him I don't know what would have happened because would basketball have evolved like it had probably not someone else would have had to step up and do not it not in Portsmouth yeah so that's why I was so grateful to, to be able to say thank thank you to him before he went because I think we all owe him a huge debt of gratitude yeah. for what he did. You know, he did. He brought us together so many good nights, so many laughs at training, at games, at Portsmouth games, just watching things, traveling with him, even traveling abroad with him. 
Yeah, thanks for the memories. Is probably really. He did have. Uh, it, it didn't happen loads, but he had a quite infectious laugh. I just <laughs> remember. He uh, that and he looked the same, didn't he? Yeah, he didn't like he looked the same from fifty to eighty. He had white hair and a, and a and a beard when I knew him. That was why it was nice seeing pictures of him as a young man at his funeral because yeah, barely recognised him. He, by the time we knew him, he was yeah, silver fox. Yeah, I I actually um I found a video of him the other day. Uh, I'll I'll edit it and post it on Facebook. But I got a picture of Mickey Byrne. Uh, sorry, a video of Mick maybe thirty years ago shooting a jump shot. You remember his little jump oh, shot? Yeah, he used yeah. to push it all the way up. I got a I got a picture of that in it going in. Big smile nice. on his face as he's running nice. back. I can't remember what that team was called. What was that team called? The old boys. Embers? Is it the Embers? Or Senals? The Senals, that was it. Yeah. The ports of Senals. Yeah, I got a I got a shot. I got a, a video clip. Nice. Um, so I'll, I'll edit that and put it on there. Yeah. Mark, your lasting memories of Mick? He was himself. He he was not apologetic about being himself. Uh, and he was hard but fair with things and I think that is you know Toko Steve is I, I, I'm grateful to have met him and, and had the experience with you guys not as much as you guys did but that that toughness that he brought to the, the table and you could walk into that and even if you weren't playing that evening you'd walk in you'd see him you knew what you were going to get you knew what he was going to bring to the, the game that was going on even if you weren't part of it and uh, that that always was will stick with me because it just you know we all try to be something we're not sometimes mm. and we all try to uh once i time some take the easy way out but he, he really just pushed into that hole you just got to work hard for it and yeah he's just a legend yeah i mean i think the last thing i would i'd probably say with um regarding mick was you know just his yeah, it was just, it, I think, like what I said to you when we, the Ports of Force had all the tryouts and all the kids and stuff is, this is Mick's legacy. None of this happens without Mick. Yeah. And, you know, it's, um, you know, it was just, you know, just a pleasure to, to, to have known him and had all the experiences and memories that I've, I've had with them, um, you know, some of them are, I'll, I'll smile at to the, to, to the rest of my days. Um, so I, I hope I get this right. Is it that one? But Mickey Byrne, we salute you. So, so on that note, the the um, one of the the main things or themes that we were going to put in this sh in in the show was this. Um, I guess wider topic. I don't know. We should have a proper name for it. But this is where we're going to throw a story. Actually, I, I haven't really told it to Mark either, but I've got a story for you. I just want to get get your thoughts on it. So we're going back to the 90s for this. Chicago Bulls. There is a Chicago Bulls fan called, I can't really, I'm not sure how to pronounce his surname. It's Don, I want to say Calhoun, but I almost want to say Calhoun instead. Don Calhoun. And he shoots... A one million pound shot. Sorry, a one million dollar shot, full court from free throw, so all the way down the end. Yeah, and um, the Chicago Bulls don't pay him. Really? 
they didn't pay him. Kind of. So they, <laughs> they don't pay him. How would you feel if you, you shot for a million dollars and they went, no, we're not paying you? I'll be trying to find a really good lawyer. <laughs> Especially in America. Well, not, not, not that they're famous for litigious things at all. Why didn't they pay? I've seen the clip and, and all the players go nuts, don't they? And Jordan's yeah. hugging him. And well, there's a contract. Uh, I'm, they, people, I'm assuming people signed before this and you can't have played any kind of basketball for five years. Yeah. And when this guy, Don, got picked, he said, oh, I played basketball three years ago. I mean, we're talking like local league level. I played basketball three years ago and they went, don't worry about it. It's absolutely fine. Yeah. And he signed, but he was open and said it. He hits the shot. I don't think Chicago pay. I think it's an insurance company that pay. Yeah, yeah. So when it goes to the insurance company, they go, no, you played three years ago. We're not paying. You're saying a, an insurance company tried to wriggle out of paying someone? Shock. <laughs> wow. Well, what happened is he is at another game or he's, uh, he's in the early parts of uh, like where players come in. And Jordan sees him, Michael Jordan sees him, and he recognizes him and said, oh, let me come and say hello, get him to come and say hello to me. And he tells Jordan, I didn't get a million dollars. And it's Jordan who then goes and talks to the other players and goes and talks to the management, and then Chicago paid him. Oh, wow. And they paid him $50,000 per year for the next 20 years. Nice. So it wasn't a one million. I, I'm just, he, they even walked off the court with a one yeah, million pound check. check. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I'll still be happy with 50 grand a year for 20 years. What a great story, though. That's great, isn't it? I, can you imagine that? You just hit that shot and you think, yes, that's it. Done. Mortgage. Gone. Hang my feet up. Done. Mm. Beach. Dying off, dying off of that forever. <laughs> I wonder if he paid anything that night. It's not enough to buy a stadium, though. No, not yet. But if you hit that shot... You might be able to buy Frank Community Center. <laughs> if you hit that shot, you're having a good night that night, aren't you? Sure. I wonder if he's paying for it. Oh, you're not remembering that night. <laughs> that night is a blur. But are you going to have 10 grand on a credit card or something going, oh, wow, I'm not getting paid now? It's the next day when you'd wake up and think, did that happen? Is that real? Mm. And, the, you know... He, and then, he javelins it as well, doesn't he? Have you seen it? I've seen it, yeah. I can't remember how he shoots it, but yeah. It's not not dissimilar to the Simon Foot three point one end of the court to the other. Well, uh, you know what? We we should we should talk about that on another episode. Let's do it. We were we were saying that we should uh, bring Steve back at some point and do a a whole episode just on the Ports of Fury. Depends mm. how comfortable we've made him feel today. We'll he, he looks out. reasonably if he comes, comfortable. If he comes back, we know he's 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 happy. Well, but um, well, Mark, there's a one last part of the show oh. that I know we've just invented. Okay. So just to describe to people here that name that kestrel. Let's stop talking about <laughs> the silent kestrels. Stop talking about. Them. You know what? <laughs> it just gets you angry. It's so funny. I might start calling them the Southampton Kestrels. Because Solent, if we, when we talk Solent City, <laughs> that's Solent and Portsmouth. Hello, rabbit hole. Yeah. Portsmouth have got its own representation, National League now. We don't, we don't need... It's the Southampton Kestrels. Hello, rabbit hole. Anyway, so in, in, in Mark's studio here, he's yes. got a basketball ring. 
Yep. Uh, yes. On the side, one of those little ones when you were a little kid where you used to dunk it. So we were going to get our guests to take how many shots, Mark? Two? Three shots? I think we should be generous. Two. Two shots. So Steve, would you, <laughs> would you be the honour of taking shots? Absolutely. Yeah? Do it. I'll do the commentating. Yeah? You do the commentating. I'm yeah. going to set it up. Okay. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we have got Steve Ware taking on the challenge of shooting on this child's basketball ring. He's standing up and looking extremely, extremely confident. He's got the balls in hand. The only problem from where I'm sitting, I can't tell if it goes in. Even if I... Mark, I tell, I tell you what. I'd say by the window. So that's probably going to be... 20 feet. That's 20, 20 feet away. So, Mark, you're going to have to let me know if this goes in. Steve, where? Let's go. So Steve's looking very... It's gone up. Air ball. Steve's, Steve's taking a few dribbles this time. It's going up. Oh! oh! What was that? Off, that the off the rim. Off the luck. One for luck. Let's say if it hits the rim, they get a third shot. We're Steve going to be the first guest to score on our basket. Oh! Oh! Oh, oh my God! It went in! Wow. Steve, how'd you feel? Yeah, that was... Uh, I didn't think you were going to make that one. Well, especially after I'm that glad you ball. gave me the bonus shot. I needed it. Wow, Steve gets first the bonus shot. First two, you just got to warm up. Yeah, you got to get your range and... Yeah. There was no it's a different ball. That that's a different, that was an air ball. Different, yeah, there's a breathe. The window's open. You've got to make sure you close that window when you get other guests. In. Oh, yeah. is that, that what it was? Yeah. yeah. Keep those, both those windows closed. you sure your injured elbow didn't? No, no, no. So there was and, a strong breeze. And he's got an injured elbow. He's got an injured elbow as well. I'm not even going to mention that. That's what, what kind of pro I am. He fell in the bathtub reaching for the soap, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> Too much. Too much. Yeah, well, let's wrap it up. So thank you very much, Steve, for coming yeah, down. Yeah, thanks, Steve. My pleasure. And uh, we've got some more people coming up, Paul, I believe. Yes. Yeah, so um, on our next episode, we got Alex Grant, um, played for the Portsmouth Force in National League this year. Um, absolute solid player, big guy. Um, you know, I'll put this in because I know you want you want to you want to hear it. He did play for the Solent Kestrels as well. Oh, um, so you know, he 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 was a absolute fundamental, you know, piece of Portsmouth Force coming season um and you know he's potentially going to go and play in europe but there's this tiny tiny chance he might stay and play in are we gonna woo him in portsmouth hey we are we, we gotta get him? biscuits you know or, uh, get some prime bottles no. whatever we need kryptonite. to do biscuits you know. on my kryptonite i can't have them around That'll well we need to we need to badly. see if we can persuade him to stay in portsmouth i'll be like a dog with a bone don't let him out of the studio till he signs yeah. Oh, Just say you're not leaving. You're not leaving until the season starts. Let's just make a contract and then say he has to sign it. That's yes. It. Right. Let's get a contract. We're, we're going to make ready it. for Alex. Alex, don't listen to this before you come and see us. <laughs> <laughs> but again, thank you so much, Steve. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on and um, listen to more of our episodes. So wherever you are and wherever you're listening, thank you so much. See you later. Ciao for now.